0: Wedding Vows What they don't tell you about love is that a death certificate has little sway on what happens within the human heart. That marriage, as defined by others, can be both legally relevant and complete bullshit. On Wikipedia, someone has typed the following. Turner married fellow poet Elise Kuznets in Orlando, Florida on September 25th, 2010. They remained married until her death on September 13th 2016. What they don't tell you about love is that after a loved one dies, people will ask, How long were you together? As if they can't see two within one, the bright vessel of the body in motion, the funeralship of love, that which the survivor has become, a brightly burning thing, who vowed the starlit amphitheater of the mind, the ancient ocean within, that landscape where memory keeps us all, this body, this home this housing of the soul. What they don't tell you, because they didn't lean in close enough to hear the words when they were spoken, is that there are many among us who refuse to repeat the vow until death do us part.
1: Welcome to The Drunken Odyssey with John King, a podcast about the writing life. Tell us oh news about a man whose mind and career has careened far and wide and upside down, whose computers are seared with crimes against grammar, whose typographical aggressions are legion, whose words flow into the very mouth of time and more than a few bottles. A man who actually owns a typewriter, and perhaps even a soul. And now, your host, John King.
2: Welcome to episode 607 of the World's Greatest Writing Podcast. According to my mother, who doesn't listen to the show, my guest today is the poet, memoirist, and musician, Brian Turner. I hope that this show fosters your sense of learning and growth, or maybe just companionship as a writer, or bless you, a reader. As a way of reminding myself that I need to be a writer and not someone who just, you know, talks about writing, I like to mention any writing progress I've made since the last time we spoke. And since last week, I've written 10 new pages of my horror screenplay, which is significant progress, but not quite as much as I had hoped to get since last week. If I have a good weekend of work, then there's hope I can get from page 41 to page 90 before I return to teaching in about nine days. For those of you assessing my progress, 10 pages might sound like a lot, and if I were writing a novel, I would regard that as plenty indeed. I think a double-spaced page a day is good. Some people can write four. I can write one. But screenplay formatting is much more spread out than prose. I just need more healthy days when I could put my ass in the chair. Wish me luck. So, Brian Turner and I muse that this episode is a fine thing to anticipate the new year with. This episode releases on New Year's Eve. Eve. Unless you're listening to this in the far future, maybe New Year's Eve Eve of 2026, in which case, welcome from the past, you beautiful things. Let's get to the interview.
1: And now, the interview of the day.
2: So I'm here at the CareWack Project of Orlando with my friend Brian
0: Turner. Hi, Brian. Hey, it's good to see you, John.
2: So let's give my audience some kind of bio for you. Brian is the author of the poetry collections, Hear Bullet and Phantom Noise and the memoir, My Life as a Foreign Country. He's also released a music project by the Interplanetary Acoustic Team called 1111 Me Smiling, which I highly recommend. <laughs> It's maybe the most amazing melding of music and poetry and exploratory thought that I've experienced. And I am a complete addict for anything. I can just, you know, in an auditory way, just stick in my head. If it can overwhelm me in a good way, I'm I'm, I'm always just excited for that. And this year, this year being 2023, he's released three volumes of poetry. The Wild Delight of Wild Things, that came out in August. The Goodbye World Poem, September and The Dead Peasants' Handbook, which came out in October. And this trilogy of verse books is accompanied by various media releases, including two new albums of original music by his music project, The Retro Legion. So we were joking a little bit earlier about how there's too much media, and then you said, (laughs) well, I can't actually
0: complain because I'm contributing to the problem. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, here's a mountain of material, you know.
2: (laughs) And let's talk about that, because I think the way it is for a lot of writers, especially Mm. someone who isn't a novelist or like there are Mm. book writers and then there are people who Mm. write books that are collections of things. And for Mm. the people who write those books, Mm. our sense of accomplishments or benchmarks or whatever in the grander sense, Mm. I I think can be strange because it might seem like we're not that busy, even though we're plenty busy. And then Mm. when things start to line up, sometimes they can line up in a pretty powerful way. So is that what happened to you? Is over the last um, few years, just the timing ended up towards everything converging kind of at the same time. Was that uh, yeah, clearly from the design of these books, it's yeah, a plan. These, yeah, these books are clearly a trilogy of books, right, the, the design right.
0: is, is it's, it's gorgeous from Alice Jane's books. Thank you. Well, there's a, a long story. I don't know how much time we have here. How are we doing? But, All the time you need. Yeah. The, the, I guess it's a little bit of both because um, things did converge near the end. But if we rewind me back a bit, and it's hard for me to exactly know how far to go back rewinding, but a few of the pieces are from a decade and a half ago, you know, a few poems. But most of them are fairly new. I say new, but they're not. And what I mean by that, like the the first book that came out, The Wild Delight of Wild Things, that started, I didn't know I was writing that book. I tried to write a novel about the wall between America and Mexico. And this is during uh, Trump's presidency early on. And, and even it started, I believe, when he was running and starting to become a candidate and talking about it. And one of my favorite novelists is Ismail Kadare, um, the uh, Albanian novelist. And I love his work so much, I went to Albania to kind of understand his novels more. You mm-hmm. know? I don't know if it did or not, but it was a fun trip. <laughs> and I got more into his work in, in different ways. I was thinking, how would he approach writing about the wall? He's a sort of fabulous mode, very much a mythmaker. So I thought, well, I'll write it kind of you like know, Donald yeah. Trump, and in, in the worst way, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, I'll write it, you know, in the, in the fairly not not distant future, but not the near future. So it's off a bit, generation, but it's indeterminate a little bit in mm-hmm. the book. But it's in the future. America has continued to work on this wall, so it just got bigger and bigger. And bigger and higher and higher and higher you know to the point where the novel starts with them there's an engineer in California and she's finished her section of the wall the wall isn't finished yet completely but her sections finished and it's been a monumental task so she's looking over the northern face of the wall and she can see the clouds curling down below and she can hear the seagulls down below her and that's made a sense of scale that novel I worked on it. My first thought was, what happens to the birds if it gets tall enough? Yeah. Well, well, that gets into part of the book at some point, talks about migration patterns and things Mm -hmm. like that. The wall itself, I realized very quickly became like an anti hero. It became a character itself because it had memory, it had circulatory systems, it had desire and intention to grow, you know, these kinds of things. Um, But my problem is, I I was, uh, well, one, I think I was writing a novel that a, a the I was I wanted to write the story, but it wasn't what I needed to do. And what I mean by that is there was one section of this book, there was a, another section called the suicide section, the jumper section is what they named <laughs> it, right? And um, it's still a construction site. So there's like, there are people who want to, family members who want to come and mourn, but- there's nowhere for them, you know, they're in the way with all the work that's happening. So somebody thought to make a sort of memorial garden where they could be there and, and think about their loved ones. This was around the time of the Fukushima disaster, or it was after the Fukushima disaster. I heard a story on NPR talking about how someone on the on the Kansai Plain, had, where the villages had been sort of erased and mourners had come back, but they couldn't see the place where their loved ones had been. So someone put one of those red British telephone booths in the middle of the playing and people would go in there and talk to the dead. And that was really moving to me. So I sort of stole that idea from real life and put that telephone booth in my story at this jumper section of the wall in one of the chapters. And there's it's so it's a short three thousand word passage or something like that. But there was something about that that I realized that was that was what I needed to write as opposed to what I wanted to write on the larger scale of this of the book. So then because I'm I'm a little bit of a knucklehead, so, and I, I don't learn very quickly. I learn very slowly, it seems like. So, what I ended up doing was, I, I realized I was writing the wrong novel. I wrote another novel. And this one is more of a. I think it's a pretty good idea. Maybe for a film, I don't know. But I, it's it's not. It needs a lot of work. But I finished it. What it was is um, I recast into a different genre, so it's more sci-fi. And it's there's a floating space station in space time where a dead person she arrives at the station and she's assigned to work there. And she learns how this place works by learning the different tasks and jobs that are there. But basically what it is, is a, a relay station between the living and the dead, and they transmit messages back and forth. There's a lot more to it, but I wrote this novel. It's got all these facets, and it's complicated, and et cetera, et cetera. And what I realized, again, was there's one short passage about 3,000 words, again, very different from the 3,000 words of the time before. But this <laughs> one is um, it's a very much, a. there was someone remembering about whales on Earth, and they were thinking about how when they die in the open ocean, the way their bodies drift down to the bottom eventually and it takes about 50 years for them to be erased. And that shows up in these books. There's one called Fallen Giants. And that's pretty much what was in that. That passage in the novel was based on nonfiction research. You know, I did a lot of research to find out what kind of zombie worms eat the bone and the skeleton at the bottom and that it takes 50 years. And my wife, Elise, she, she was very proud that she survived long enough to make it to her 50th birthday. And so because of 50, something about that resonated with me. So anyways, I've written the second novel, And now again, I have one passage where I know I need to write that and that the novel itself was not what I needed to write. So now I take this and I realize I think now I'm in the right spot. I know it's grief and loss. Both of these are doing that, but I'm in the wrong genre. This is short lyric nonfiction, and I need to write a memoir of these. And I made two rules for myself. I had to be in conversation with Elise and learn something about nature. And I thought, well, I'll write a hundred of them. For one, it's a divisible by four, which makes interesting sections. There's a lot of math I could do with that in terms of internal structures across and horizontally vertically and all that. I write this crazy thing. I thought it was maybe the best book I'd ever written. And then um, some people I sent it to didn't think so. And I had to think <laughs> about that for a while. I had to think, you know, with my, my agent was kind enough to send it off to the publisher and it, it was just not, not working. I had to think about that. It was stung for a bit. And it was probably about a year where I sort of sat on that doing other work or other creative work and then went back to it and then I thought about it again I thought you know I, I think this is the right book there are parts there's maybe a lot of things that aren't working with it that I could just if I just drop them away then what remains and with that I realized that there were for the most part what I'd done is I'd written the right book but now it was just in the wrong genre like it was too far into prose and I needed to recast it into in poetry the very first book of this trilogy took three other books to get to this book and you can see the remnants of the third one, because, and even the second one, the whales are in some of them. And then in this particular book, The Wild Dollar, Wild Things, there are still lyric essays in the book that I didn't change from their original approach. You know?
2: Right. Technically, we could call them prose yeah. poems. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they're more so but, like that because, yeah. because of the editor, because originally I had them instead of having just like a, a block of text on a page and then there's a breath and then you go to the next page and then sort of another. There's a kind of synaptic gap for the reader to do from page to page. That was the editor's idea. Originally, I'd had asterisks, and it was just a continuous essay with, like, section dividers. So I really like her. It reminded me a bit of uh, Nick Flynn's um, Another Bullshit Night in Suck City, how he has just sort of a, a flash of a, of a memory or something, then you turn the page, and then another memory, and it starts to put Frankenstein together. I really like that approach. I, I wish I'd thought of it, but Carrie Salerno, she was kind enough to come up with that. And, that helped the book a lot.
2: So it seems like yeah. part of the process was mm. learning mm. to not deflect or pivot from your own grief. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. let Elise more fully into the work that you were doing mm. and then figuring, okay, once you mm. did that, things were writer.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And yeah. then trying to figure out what to do with mm. how to make it from writer to, to making it great.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I've done my best. Yeah, very much so. Because it's like, I, I I still think those ideas that I had are interesting. They're interesting books, but it wasn't getting to the the reason why I write is to kind of try to make sense of the world more. And with her, it got me closer and closer to her. It's not a sweet book. The title is a little bit, I don't, I'm not sure. I think it, I don't think it, you know, it's not. I think some people could be tricked in a sense. The Wild, A Lot of Wild Things sounds like this wonderful, like, oh, we're going to National Geographic Tour of, you know. But you, you go in, and it's a very difficult space. But at the same time— but Yeah, no, it's not a Dionysian romp. No, no. <laughs> at the same time, I as I finished the book and I realized it was done, now it was really done, I didn't want to walk out of it because that was a space where I could be in conversation. Even if it was difficult, I could be in conversation with her. Yeah.
2: There's that James quote. Mm. I don't fully believe it's James. <laughs> Try to be someone upon which nothing is lost. Mm. Yeah and the book begins with a poem of hers which is where the wild delight of wild things that phrase comes from right and in some ways it's you in conversation with her and you in conversation with her sense of how interconnected everything is the spirit whatever that is (laughs) science Mm -hmm. nature animals we are animals yeah Yeah. but the plants are alive Mm -hmm. so there's the poem where she's getting chemotherapy treatment and mm. you're overwhelmed and trying not to show it or, or trying not to be a burden. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And she's mm. one grading fucking, stu- <laughs> work, which yeah, just felt like a dagger in my heart. Like, yeah. <laughs> like how many times have I mm-hmm. had to think, okay, I'm in an emergency. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. And this shit needs to get done because if I'm going to have a life later, yeah. If I'm going to be there for someone else later, yeah, this has to get done now because there's only more coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And her sense of her joyous sense of, of how miraculous it was that she got to have these treatments or as a blood transfusion. Or I'm trying to remember light what lights. she was
0: having. Well, she was having, it was into her chemo port, but I'm not sure exactly what she was getting that particular time. I just remember thinking it was right around this time of year because the semester had finished for the most part, but she had papers to grade still. So the students have gone off into their lives. They're waiting to hear what their grade will be, but it's winter break. They're off doing whatever we're going to work or, you know, I imagine them having fun. They have real lives. So they're, you know, yeah. they're, they're going about, they finish it, they're going to do next semester or whatever. It was a couple of days before New Year's. So it was like around the 27th, 28th of December. And so she's grading them and it was late at night and I remember just looking at her and she wasn't like phoning it in. She could have just looked at him real quickly, ch- ch- scanned it and been "I ah, just phoned in, given a grade and they would have been all happy. Or and, just you know, focus
2: on the global if we want to be more yeah, generous, yeah. like, okay, yeah, like yeah. give real comments, but not yeah. dig in.
0: Yeah, but and she was, I mean, she was, she didn't let up. She was always a, an amazing teacher and she didn't mm-hmm. stop when she had all the reason in the world to like, just do like, no, oh, it's okay. It's a good piece. You did a good, you know, she yeah. was doing the work, you know? And I just, it just amazed me, you know, so I don't, I'm not that strong, <laughs> you know, I hope I'll be that good a teacher all the time, but just to see it in action is is just amazing. In retrospect, I wrote this afterwards. So part of the emotion that's in there too, is, is anger because one of those students complained about two or three weeks later, because they didn't like their grade and wanted her to go back and regrade all of their papers for the semester. That's part of my thinking is like, now you weren't there. Like, did you see how she great How much care? I doubt you put that much care into the work yourself the way she did with it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it's just like, yeah, it's it's frustrating to.
2: And I know, yeah.
0: okay, mm-hmm. as a student, yeah. I was
2: never that kind of asshole. But mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. as a student at times I had to have been an asshole where. Oh, huh, yeah. Trying to advocate for yourself and, and like learning how to do this. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. Although asking someone to regrade like all the papers yeah, for the semester, I was like, "Yeah, I don't think so."
2: <laughs> That—that's next level asshole. Right yeah. yeah. But so much of the wild delight of wild things seems to mm. me to be pursuing that spirit. And yes, mm. I mean the poem ends with her the sense of wonder and joy, and yet I could feel mm. the rage in the poem and mm. and the sadness in the poem, even though yeah. Yeah. it ends in this you know, very high. Yeah. The tears, high mark, but I,
0: with gratitude, I also
2: felt, yeah, yeah, the gratitude. And I felt, uh, Mm. just Mm. like I could feel the fury Mm. in there so that I think someone could misread this as sentimental. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And, Mm. and don't get me wrong. I do think as writers, like, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be so afraid of sentimentality that we... <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest uh, word that comes elude, up. Yeah. Like, like, avoid yeah. telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes the truth might sound sentimental.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there are, there are readers who won't be able to connect with these because of that exact word. They'll, they'll feel too much sentimentality or this tenderness in the in the books and rather than a more complicated version, maybe. You know, this is the best way I could write it. I couldn't figure out another, you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the book is yeah. is extraordinary. And I think one of the cliches of talking about poetry is to say, oh, well, poems speak to other poems. Mm. You know, sometimes there are poems. Sometimes there are other people's poems that stick with us. And I don't think I've ever felt that more true than in this trio of books. They talk to each other. They sort of light up these extra neural pathways. Partly I wonder, is that from revising and editing this work? Or were all of these I ideas mean, so present
0: for you I think over this period? they were so present in the period. Yeah. Yeah. It was different before. Like the Wild Delight of Wild Things, I sort of talked about the journey, the way it sort of coalesced. But the other two were quicker to arrive, but they arrived in different ways. Like one was a full-on baseball book. It was all baseball poems. But they're not really about baseball, right? (laughs) And and it was like sort of the way in. And I'd always wanted to write a book of baseball poems that was really meaningful and, and it was far beyond the sport itself, you know, where each poem gets the human inside of it and all that. I wrote that, and then afterwards I think I had to scrap it basically because it just wasn't holding up. The poems weren't living up to what they needed to do. But there were three or four, and so I think those are scattered in the second and third books. The second book, The Goodbye World Poem, I had Jack Gilbert as a sort of North Star initially. And I was thinking I was going to write poems that would just be very stylistically similar with long lines, block stanzas, and they would just have a Jack Gilbert look and a, and a kind of friction inside the poems that might be similar. He's a, a great romantic, a, a great lover maybe. Uh, he's also a very controversial figure. I remember there's a poem uh, there's a poem in there called Thera. That was published, I think, on Poem a Day or something. I like the poem, and and it mentions Jack Gilbert by name in there. That's one of the first poems I've ever had people get blowback on their (laughs) comments, like... I can't believe you're doing it because he's a very divisive person for people, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And I try divisive to divisive how I think for a lot of people, it can be very misogynistic and sexist, and, and I get that. But I, I fell in love with Jack Gilbert's work through Dorian Locks, my teacher at University of Oregon. She loved his work and shared it with us, you know. And her talking about his work really got me to read his work. And the people in his poems, I like the, the care that they have for each other and the sort of eternal within, within ruin. He, he lost someone close to him. I lost someone close to me. So there's a resonance there for me that I hope speaks for itself and hopefully helps nurture the poems that I'm trying to write rather than undermine them. I hope I'm not writing in a vein that would reinstill that sort of thinking for those who sense misogyny and that kind of mm-hmm. thing in that work. Cause that's not where I'm coming
2: from. Yeah, no, I think it would be if someone to mm. actually make that mm. a- accusation against your work out, I would be like where? <laughs> where could you possibly uh. find that? But I think of some of my mm. literary heroes and, mm. you know, my relationship to them changes over the years, but mm. for me, you know, a big one was Henry Miller. Mm. And step one, okay, please don't make Henry Miller a religion. <laughs> 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 Cuz there are great things to learn mm. from him. But, yeah, yeah. It, you know, like yeah. if you go really far down that road, yeah, yeah. but on the other hand, like what is on a man's mind, I think, mm. I think actually if women read Henry Miller, they would understand, mm. oh, mm. men are that fucked. <laughs> 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 like it's not an act. It's not mm. temporary. It's like, no, this is, yeah. this is a big mm. thing.
0: And I would, likewise with Gilbert, I don't want to, um, I've heard from people anecdotes about him in real life not on the page, but in his life that are really questionable. And I I get, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But all I know of of Jack Gilbert is on the page myself. So that's my influence. Yeah.
2: Once here (laughs) in this house, actually, there was some, Hmm.
0: well, we've had Mm write-ins
2: just come and, you know, we have prompts Mm -hmm. and I've actually written work that's been published based on, you you know, if you don't come here with an idea, just here's a prompt, Mm -hmm. what can you do with it? And I remember telling someone, I forget exactly what the context was, but I I could see how I could be constructed as a villain. I said, oh, (laughs) oh, it was about an ACDC lyric. And I go, you know, it's a bit misogynistic. Hmm. And they're like, ooh, that's bad. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with misogyny. And I am (laughs) in art. Hmm. I'm also more okay with misandry. Hmm. (laughs) I think it's good that these emotions get expressed rather than... For everyone to pretend that they don't exist. I, mm. I don't want those values to be treated like mm. ideals that we need to pursue <laughs> or anything. Yeah. But it occurred to me, oh yeah, when I'm really tired, sometimes I say the beginning of an interesting idea and then it just like lingers toxically by itself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without the other stuff. And it's like, <laughs> I don't mind being judged for all the stuff, but if I just <laughs> leave the one weird comment out there, like, yeah. ooh, that's a bad look.
0: But that's, it's just human. With each sentence we say to have like some kind of context that we can put it in that bubble of context. So each person receives it the way we actually meant it. (laughs) Unfortunately, we don't always have that, that context bubble, you know? No,
2: we can't. Well, and I see this actually Mm -hmm. on Facebook, which can Mm -hmm. be an empathy killer where... Mm -hmm. People are getting angry and into arguments because they're not even having the same conversation, but don't seem to know that they're oh, not right. having the same conversation Yeah. because they're talking in code because they're talking yeah. in meme form rather than yeah. writing a paragraph, which is part of the problem of of that what happens on facebook uh, quite naturally and and exhaustingly also exists in the greater public discourse outside of that
0: i mean comedy makes great use of that you know (laughs) 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 talking in different you know different having the same conversation about a different thing yeah this is great for comedy but not so great in life sometimes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) no 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 and
2: i think you're one of the most radically empathetic poets i know i appreciate that your sense of history and your sense of Mm. the natural world and Mm. just, okay, what happens when whales die?
0: Yeah.
2: Now the first time I thought about this actually came Mm. through Dave Barry, the humor writer. Yeah. Because there was a beached whale somewhere and they couldn't Mm. figure out what to do with the whale. And this is like grotesque existential comedy. I've written about that. Yeah. But they exploded the whale, not realizing, (laughs) okay, the blubber goes up and then, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've got this like whale shrapnel, like just falling
0: out of the sky. It dented dented cars, even and stuff. Dented
2: cars, it hit people, and and you have all of these. And and it was a real problem. Like after a couple of weeks, like okay, it's this is Mm. not good for anybody to have this (laughs) whale carcass here. Yeah, yeah. But then people were celebrating, and Mm. part of it was Wahoo! We're blowing up something huge. Yeah, yeah. And then eight seconds in, like screaming and oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But your poem is mm. the opposite of that, which is in natural circumstances, what happens. Yeah. And you're writing about mm. animals and doesn't feel performative to me. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like I've learned these facts and now I'm going to do something witty with them, which uh. that may be part of the process. But mm. the sense I get is no, no, we are part of this larger yeah. animal and natural world that we're not outside of it we're not yeah above it in fact being above it means we're kind of beneath it because yeah. we're not yeah living yeah. we're being less we're not living up to our
0: potential yeah and I, I think of them all as same if we think of like democracy where each person has an equal vote if that's agreed to so there isn't like someone who's more of a citizen than another if we can live that i don't know if we live that way in america but that's the the ideal right (laughs) but in a similar way like with other living beings on the planet i'm not more important than another and also just fascinated by their lives because they're here alive while we are alive and And actually a lot of these have to to do with our actions that kill them or you know and and destroy their habitat and I, yeah. But also, once
2: we get over the hump and we think, mm-hmm. OK, at least to them, their lives have as much meaning as our lives
0: have to us. Yeah. My dog, she's so much better than me. Like, like if one of us has to go, it's got to be me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like she should keep going because the world needs her, you know? <laughs> so
2: one of my favorite poems is the one about the octopus. I wonder if you would be willing oh, to read yeah.
0: that. Oh, sure. I just heard about a week ago, there's a student who's going to uh, who's memorized this one. which just Kind of surprises me. It's called Cephalopods. So this from The Wild Delight of Wild Things. Yeah. The genius of the octopus is so evident as it escapes the fish tank designed to imprison it. What better response than to imagine a path over tile and grout through a medium of sky radiant with heat, flooded with sunlight, here in the kingdom of shadow and acoustic sibilance, where a susurration of voices funnels in from a corridor beyond the laboratory. Science itself, chiseled in the sharp-angled nature of the room, this octopus must flee. The ocean, wholly within its imagination, though certain enough it would abandon all safety at the very notion of it, simply for that blue joy, fluid and serene, the pull of its currents urging the octopus forward and through a landscape of human beings that it might view the stars from the cold depths of the Pacific once more, that it might dwell within itself, shifting its chromatophores and the texture of its skin as the terrain requires. Though now there is only this flight, its siphon inscribing a cloudy trail of ink in its wake, a message to its captors, that the word beauty exists within the octopus too, that here is a signature of personhood, if only... One were to make the effort to learn this ancient alphabet, if only it might be read aloud. I haven't read that in a while. It's a little tricky to just jump into that one, I <laughs> <laughs> even though it's in couplets. They're easy to read usually, and they have a nice turn to the line. And
2: yeah. but it seems also to have I don't know an octopus-like rhythm. <laughs> like when they move, it's, it's yeah,
0: yeah, it's true. Kind of angular and sort of yeah, total yeah. syncopated. Yeah, the idea of personhood I think is really fascinating because it didn't end up showing up as much in the final version of this book as in the draft before. But there was another piece I'd written about different rivers that have been given personhood status in the world. So there's movements like that, not just with animals like an octopus, but also like a river. That just made me think of Hmm. Old Man River,
2: (laughs) which made me think of, I've got, this reveals a lot about me, but I've got some Frank Sinatra performance where he sings Old Man River and it's like, oh yeah, no. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: frank yeah i'm not gonna yeah. say this
0: often but yeah no yeah. you can sing a lot but there's some songs just no that's no. not yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs>
2: so the hundred poems
0: yeah we we'll started start a hundred essays hundred yeah. essays yeah yeah
2: and the idea was
0: i was going to be in conversation with elise and learn about nature part of it too was i just wanted to put in my time writing short lyric essays. They had to all be under 750 words. So I was just trying to do really microcosms, you know, little ones. I wanted to just get better at writing those. So it started out as an exercise too. But then it very quickly became this thing where I had a chart up on my wall. I got a poster board and I made this chart. Each section was like the seasons. And then I had um, 25... For each one, the way I was trying to write it was that um, each section I wanted to have an internal arc to it. The book itself needs a large global arc to it. But then just to make it sort of tied together, even I wanted, like, let's say if you look at it as a chart, imagine the rows of spring, summer, fall and winter. Then if you went to number four and the number whatever it is over there, 30, 29 (laughs) across, there would be quartets, these four pieces and I wanted those to have an arc. And that, that if I read them as four together in a row, they would have a pleasing kind of symmetry and conversation within themselves. I thought that would help really make the book just lock and link into itself, if that makes sense.
2: I think yeah. there's a poem where you mentioned Vivaldi and Vivaldi's yeah, yeah. inserting the idea of flies into <laughs> one of the four seasons, I presume, yeah summer.
0: Yeah, yeah I believe it was. Uh, yeah.
2: And you know, that's delightful. Yeah. But that also seems like a very 18th century thing to do is to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> write a piece of music that is that <laughs> systematic. Hmm. This is also while you're mourning the passing of a lease. And yeah. I imagine hmm. for me in mourning, hmm. it just clobbers the fuck out of me out of nowhere. And yeah. You think it's getting better and you think it doesn't. So part of me wonders, is the elaborate structure here a way of trying to manage hmm. the processing of emotions so that maybe all the sadness will will be engaged with, but maybe you won't be clobbered quite so often? And think, forgive me uh, if asking that no, if that's an no, inappropriate question.
0: No it's, a, no, it's a very good question. I think, um, to think it's a personal it. question. It is, but um, we all go through this stuff. And like, how do we deal with grief? And those same waves do clobber me as well. They were more frequent in the periods between and all that. They come out of the blue. You'll be standing at a rack looking at some shirts or something and just this wave crashes over. So if somebody says something, there's a song at a restaurant being played in the background, you know, and, and the blue, you're... you're, you're and the grief says, yep,
2: yeah, this is my time. And yeah. you're like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you're scratching your head like... Whoa.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think this shows up in the work. I, I kind of hope it doesn't in ways. I had a range of emotions, but earlier... Closer to her passing, there was a lot of anger. And also, I just didn't feel connected with other people. So, I just, I'd fallen out of love with the world in a lot of ways. This is while I'm writing, especially writing the novels, those two novels. It was easier to be angry about the wall and like that kind of thing. And then. Which is a legitimate thing to be angry about. Yeah, yeah. But it was like a displacement of my, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it was a way I could go into a political thing that I'm mad about. I am mad about that, but my actual anger comes from. You know, this terrible thing, you know, that I'm trying to deal with, this loss. At the same time, I'm kind of, I get obsessive about things. And so I I just, you know, there'd be 12-hour days just typing away, you know, that kind of thing. And just working my way through these stories. And I think it's a way, initially, I think I... I didn't realize I was finding my way into a conversation with her, Mm -hmm. but probably subconsciously I knew because that's why otherwise I would have just kept working on that first book and really get it nailed down. That's how I sort of operate with art. I can just keep trying to find my way through it until I get to a space where I feel like I'm learning something. It really was helpful for me to do that. And I had the privilege of being able to have that kind of time and space to do it. I used to be a construction worker. How would have I processed the same, these experiences during that time in my life, when I didn't have that time and space, I probably would have been popping off at people at work, and and you know I was already at the time it was hard for me to drive around town because I'd get road rage real quickly. Thankfully, that's in construction. Of, that would be a very bad trait to have. Oh no! Well, anger is a common thing in construction. <laughs> it's pretty common, you know. But, but there needs to be a ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, for sure. <laughs> Anywhere, right?
2: But uh, like, if you show up mad, okay, that's. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. But you see it, in, even in teaching, you see angry. T- I had well, my first experience of an angry workplace person was my second grade teacher. She hated her life and her job, and she hated us, and we knew it all year long. So I, I'd already learned that when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> people hate their jobs or their life or whatever it is, you know. That's a no, lot of people. Yeah. These these poems um, and, and this book, near the end as I started, my curiosity was reengaged more. Rather than my anger and wonder, I suppose, I think it's more curiosity than just wonder, but wonder is part of it for the natural. It, it's taken me time to get back to people, it's self-excluded, mm-hmm. but just like people in general, you know, but it's part uh, no, of I've it. I've observed it. Yeah. yeah. Brian, where, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I would see you, but yeah, like in yeah. our engagement
2: yeah, was socially acceptable. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, and yeah. then, hmm. you know, you did some music and, you know, yeah. we got to talk yeah. about that. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and that, again, was literally you collaborating with her because she, yeah. she had recordings and, and so you yeah. built this extraordinary musical project. And I think I told you this. I'm one of the freaks here in Orlando, yeah. the city beautiful, who <laughs> likes to go over to the mouse and spend time. Yeah. So I had your album on my iPod. I remember mm-hmm. you wanted to give me the vinyl and I'm like, this is too valuable. And I, I, I won't play it like this <laughs> right is precious. Like I, I sure, sure. someone better than me or someone more <laughs> ready than I am to, to gotcha. have vinyl and underground, someone scratched my doors records. And I'm like, I think I'm, yeah. I think I could just do CDs. I've got tinnitus. <laughs> like, I, it doesn't sound warmer to me, but to get back to the point. Sure. So I was in toy story mm-hmm. land. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking around and okay. People wonder, how do you do it? How do you go over there? and not mm. be miserable and hate everyone and just start punching people because it's, <laughs> it's so miserable most of the time to mm. be in that environment, or at least that's the way most intellectuals and writers think is it's, it's a horrible place. And mm. objectively, much of the time it is intolerable.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: I like, I know yeah. how to get in and get out. I know how to yeah. engage with it. But you know, one of the ways is, okay, if I don't want to hear screaming babies the whole time, like I have to have things in my yeah. ears. Yeah. And also because of my tinnitus, I'm always worried I'm hmm. not hearing something. Oh, right, right. So if someone says like I'm like, like it triggers my brain, like emergency, what, what's happening? <laughs> because yeah, someone could reasonably, at a reasonable decibel, be addressing me, and I I could miss it. So hmm. I actually yeah. have to shove something in my ears, and so I got to shove 1111 wow. me smiling into my ears, hmm. and then it became this thing that just took over my experience and i sat mm. across from this horrible buzz light year ride it's <laughs> the worst ride in all of walt disney world brian but oh, wow. yeah but yeah they've got flashing lights and neon and mm. standing across from it and I I, I I couldn't move i couldn't walk i just oh. i was listening to that yeah. album mm. across from that ride and that ride looked like the perfect light show like i realized mm. good music doesn't need a light show yeah But it was the perfect light show, and I just sat there for over forty minutes, just finishing Uh, the experience of of listening to it and the different voices and all the different places that that music goes. So
0: yeah, while I was writing those novels, that was that was another project I was working on. So those were in tandem. I'd started the one with the wall prior to Elise passing, but you know, then it. Continued as So that deepened in its emotional kind of life. But yeah, I'm really glad to hear that because I think uh, I like listening to music too when I'm out, out in the world and, and it changes the whole experience rather than just the regular acoustic environment. Sometimes makes it almost into a story when sometimes if you don't have it and you sit there, it just can be this mundane. So it changes people. I don't know how they fall asleep on a plane when you open the window and you look out and there are clouds out there. And I know, I know I'm know i ridiculous. I've, I've heard comics joke about me being the guy filming clouds out the window you know kind of thing but it's like uh, you know only in human history for a very brief for a couple of generations or so could we ever look at the tops of clouds and be flying in them you know it, it's, to me it's it's astounding and like how do you fall asleep like <laughs> and and sleeping <laughs> is one of my superpowers i can sleep anywhere i could sleep on this floor like no problem i think the pieces in the book they help me to get closer to I know if you don't mind me circling back this, but sure. like it, it got me back to where I started to fall back in love with the world again. That was very helpful in tandem with my dog too. Like my dog, she was a puppy. It's kind of hard being around a puppy and not laugh. Like I hadn't laughed for a long time, but like <laughs> actually laughed, you know? Yeah. And she helped me like really come back to parts of myself that need to be there for us to be sane, you know?
2: Well, and part yeah. of the process seems like it was also mm-hmm. returning to the world through release. Yeah. That it yeah. wasn't simply, okay, that's over. And now I'm. Yeah. Yeah. but rather it's Mm
0: -hmm.
2: okay now that i'm less angry Mm -hmm. or not angry all the time Mm -hmm. and trying to appreciate (laughs) her poetry and and her vision and sound as a poet Mm -hmm. continuing to teach you
0: things yeah and i'm still trying to collaborate with her and my friend brian who passed away there's another thing i've done i don't know when it'll come out we're almost done with it and i know she would be thrilled with this whereas Many people might feel strange about this idea. I know she would love it, which is the voice programs where we can have voices replicated. Mm -hmm. So we're working on replicating her voice for poems that she wrote that she never recorded. Jared Sylvia and I have already done a sort of soundscape that matches the length of a reading of these robot poems that she did that haven't been published. So it's a similar vibe in a way to the other thing, but it's a bit different from that album. It's meant to be like a chapbook. So you read the chapbook while the soundscape is playing or you could just cuz she'll read the poems and so we'll hear her recite these poems although it'd be an AI version of her voice. The technology's gotten to a point where we've already done a couple of sample tests and her voice sounds pretty pretty close and pretty good. We have to work on a couple of parts to to get a little bit better well, and the then Beatles there's an artist and I think yeah, <laughs> true. And there's an artist who's um, made these amazing gorgeous paintings that are very sci-fi but I'll have to send them to you so you can see, but we're trying to figure out how we're going to share that with people right
2: now. Well, and you also yeah. oversaw the publication of her book.
0: Yeah. She after did. she
2: passed, which was extraordinary for me because like mm. I, I, before she passed, I got to meet her, mm. but like, yeah. and part of the idea was, okay, mm. we'll get her on the show. And yeah. it just didn't work out. Yeah, And so I felt like, okay, mm. one of the secrets of the show mm. is I usually don't learn that much talking to my guests. It's we're sharing notes. Hmm. <laughs> but I learned so much reading their work. Yeah, that's half of the experience of me talking yeah. to my guests, and so hmm. that was a really rich experience getting to read her book. So oh, that was also—I yeah. I realize it's her yeah. accomplishment more than yours,
0: but yeah, yeah. that was also and, another and, and what a great what, thing! What a poet! You know, I mean, I mean she's such an amazing writer. And thinker. And what was really nice on a very practical level is um, Alice James published that. So that was wonderful. But then her first book, Small Hours, was with Truman State University Press. Unfortunately, that press went under. I was able to talk with Barbara who ran it. Unfortunately, I can't remember her last name at the moment, but, um, but, but she helped so much with uh, and then I coordinated with Alice James. And they were so kind to house her first book. And so now they house both books there. So it took some behind the scenes things to get contracts and, you know, get the originals so that they could replicate the book and all that, the design materials and all that. So there's a lot of effort that all these very kind people put in to house her work. So it's available at Alice James. You know?
2: I also noticed the Interplanetary Acoustic Team mm-hmm. text sometimes appears in <laughs> these, <laughs> these poems as well. Like, yeah, like, yeah. ooh, I know this one already. <laughs>
0: Ah, <laughs> Yeah, I like, I like things that are referential across lines and it's, stuff. It's I different like, reading it on the I page. I like having little shout-outs and yeah, yeah. things. And,
2: yeah. <laughs> in my crazy novel, like there's at least mm-hmm. one or two jokes in there. I'm like, this is for like three people on the planet <laughs> Earth. <who> will,
0: <laughs> so well, I think that's fair. I know, you know what that's for. Yeah. 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 The editors always get tweaked a little bit. They'll be like, that sentence. But it's like, no, I know one person's, no, that's the right sentence. you know, Or whatever it might be. You know, Sometimes we have to argue for those. I saw
2: Douglas Adams give a reading. Hmm. He said, oh, by the way, the first sentence of what I'm about to read is terrible, but someone bet me a very nice dinner that I wouldn't put it in the book. (laughs) And then he said, Fort Fairlane hit the ground running. Hmm. And then he rubbed his stomach. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can indulge ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Even if it's just for us. Yeah.
0: I think you kind of have to. It makes it fun.
2: I talked a little bit earlier about the tension between cleverness and having plans and and having an aesthetic design that you're engaged with yeah while also trying to genuinely engage with the audience and and as you say there's Mm. the thing that you want to write and then there's the thing that you need to write and the thing that you need to write is the thing that you need to write and you better write it
0: yeah and then why share it what's the hope with that You know what I mean? Because once you've written a thing you need to write for yourself, that's often what I'll think is like, well, so for example, between my first book here, Bullet, and my second book, Phantom Noise, I wrote another manuscript there, but I I haven't shared that with anyone because I thought it did work for me, but uh, I don't really see a reason to share it with others. I don't think it's necessarily, so I have my reasons why I didn't share it. I think that's perfectly fine. Didn't feel it good enough? No, no, it's not that. I mean, if it was going to publish in terms of publishing quality, I'd probably have to revise it quite a bit. But it's a book that could be in the world. But uh, well, I don't but want it to be for me. you know. What I mean by yeah. good enough isn't yeah.
2: that it's technically good enough. Yeah, yeah. But that yeah. it moves you enough or that you think uh, it could change things.
0: It helped me with a previous relationship that I'd had years ago. And it helped me to work with some of that. Uh, well, actually, now I'm talking about two different manuscripts. <laughs> There's one manuscript I wrote that got a previous relationship off my chest. I haven't shared that with anybody. And then there was a book of love poems there. At this point, I, I wanted those just for myself. <laughs> they don't have to be in the world, you know? And it, and I don't think they, I mean, See, just, they might be nice for other people to read, but I don't know if it would be meaningful for someone else necessarily to read. I've written other love poems well, if that I'm, I think are meaningful for others. If I'm thinking say,
2: of this yeah. correctly, yeah. the poems felt more mm-hmm. private than public. Yes. As opposed mm-hmm. to being meaningful or whatever. Well these are love, it, I mean
0: these are pretty these are pretty private stuff here, a lot of this stuff. I could see of those two manuscripts and that I'm now talking about that I didn't publish, one I would definitely put in the category that I wouldn't publish Because there's a a specific reason why, which is there's a previous relationship. And the other person in that relationship doesn't get it choice in that kind of thing. And they don't have the same kind of platform or or microphone that I would have. So it doesn't seem fair for me to have one side of the story if it was in a public sense and and they wouldn't be able to have that. And also it feels like a private relationship. I didn't get her sort of approval ahead of time to be able to share that kind of stuff in the world. That doesn't seem fair to her.
2: There is that ethical Mm. concern, but also it's a matter of empathy where it seems to me like Mm. you're writing from such a place of empathy Mm. so that (laughs) you're trying to figure out, okay, what happened to this psychological gunfight that happened is a much different project than something you're Hmm. interested in now. Yeah. Is my guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also I've, since then I've truly fallen in love and had, had relationships that are just of, of a whole different order. Yeah. It's a very strange, maybe a strange thing to say, but what I'm hoping is that people, when they read these poems, they're not all in conversation with Elise. They're not all specifically about the people I've lost in my life, but those that are the poems that are, I'm hoping that people will, in a little, small measure, sort of fall in love with those people. So they'll fall in love with Lise or my, my friend Brian, who's like a brother, my father, Marshall, just in some small way that they might carry them on. So it goes back to why I did the, the album, Love and Love and Me Smiling, with the Interplanetary Acoustic Game. It's this idea of finding ways for them to be in the world still. And that's part of the reason why I share these books. That's probably why there's so much of them, like instead of just one book. <laughs> <It's like laughs> then, well, but then there's as more to say. say one you know? poem,
2: yeah. like w- when you get married... Mm-hmm. And the vow says, till death do we part. Not everybody actually repeats that part.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people read that poem, it has quotes from, and it uses a different font to show that what was typed into Wikipedia by someone after or at least passed away. But if you go on Wikipedia now, it's not there anymore. Part of that's because a couple summers ago, I was in Maine at the Great Mother Conference, which was started by Robert Bly back in the day. And I was there, and it was amazing festival, conference, whatever you might want to call it. It's a gathering of souls, and we're being creative in various ways. I gave a a reading, and I read that poem, and I talked about how it was on Wikipedia. And then afterwards, two Wikipedians came up to me which I didn't even know was a thing, but they (laughs) called themselves Wikipedians. And each of them was in a different, very different space than the literary space Mm -hmm. in Wikipedia, more science oriented and I think economics or something. And both of them separately, I don't even know if they know that they're both Wikipedians, (laughs) 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 but they came up to me afterwards at different times and and asked if, if it'd be okay to change it for me. And they wanted to know what my input was. And then I told them that I don't really think it's the author's place to make a public biography if that's made that's done by people who are thinking about the author right
2: the facts weren't wrong yeah but stating a fact also
0: yeah but also the the fact that they said it felt like like who makes that choice like that's like i'm still wearing my ring with Elise you know who says I'm not? I'm no longer married. Like who made that choice? I didn't make that choice. You know, oh, right. there are but legal that, distinctions. That peculiar things. wording. Yeah, they were married up until yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. That's exactly what was my. I didn't mind them sharing the news or anything like that or what had happened. Just facts. But that wording just felt so. Um, In
2: a legal sense, I guess technically true. Yeah,
0: I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but nobody ever asks the. That's not where with that, we though.
2: normally start. Yeah. With those conversations. Yeah. I don't know
0: how it is in other countries, but in this country, we struggle with death and we struggle with talking about it and we struggle with, once someone's lost somebody, then uh, like a spouse specifically, I think the, where we place the the survivor, which is a weird word, like all the words are strange that have to do with them. where we place that person isn't necessary. like it's almost like it's, you just don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. There are forms, the government forms, that don't even have widow or widower. They'll just put single, married, and that'll be it, right? So you have a couple of choices, but not widow or widowed. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't feel single, but I don't feel married, and <laughs> which, which, you know. So maybe it's an old form. They need that know. extra, <laughs> yeah, thing for
2: the dating like sites. Like uh, <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. I am single, but I'm also married. So it's a weird, I don't know, there isn't like a a thing. It's the same with like the verbs. We need a whole other verb case. Like it's the language is, I had trouble putting these books out thinking, is this even the way to do it? Because there's a past tense, continuous and all that stuff, but none of them quite have the past where it's alive now fully.
2: Oh, you need three volumes of poetry to... (laughs) <laughs> Get that across. <I> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if you would read How It Works. Philip Levine taught at NYU when I was there. Oh, really? So, oh. And I was not on the poetry track, mm-hmm. but he was around. And mm. I got the sense of mm. he turned 80 while I was there. Oh, and wow. yeah. I got the sense of, oh, that's what it looks like when someone spends almost his entire life doing exactly the thing he wanted to do
0: with yeah. his life. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly cantankerous, mostly generous. That's a good snapshot. (laughs) He's very kind, and and he's very interesting man. How it works. Phil Levine said, if you want people to experience loss, you have to first give them something to love and then take it away. That was in the 90s in the San Joaquin Valley at the bottom of a dead sea. Maybe I wrote it down, maybe I didn't. What's important now, what I've learned most in the time since, is to fall in love with the small things quiet moments. The gestures of strangers wiping sweat from a brow. A woman lifting a child to her hip as she hums a few bars of wordless music. Or the way the light moves through a green century of trees. That story the rain recites on a corrugated roof. I can still smell the solvents and abrasives from the hospital. Picture the fluorescent corridors leading to conversations on radiation and chemo the doctors who stare into their own hands as they offer up the month and season when it all goes under, as it is with the dead, how they rise from their bodies and pull their entire lives with them, mountains, oceans, whole continents, geologic eras, the deep history of every living being on the planet, as it's been for me too, here in the wake of my own love's crossing. Maybe that's how it works, I don't know, but that's how it feels, the cities. Crumbling in slow motion around me, people's lives doing the same. Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning, every singing little bird, every blade of grass, every cigarette butt still smoking on the curb, even that lady's hat I once saw hovering on the breeze several stories high, and all of our astonished faces thinking of loved ones dancing up there, spinning in slow circles. Even that, all of it pulled into oblivion by the journey of the dead that hat at the end that's spinning up there even that lady's hat spinning up there that's actually from a collaborative poem that I did with Shara McCollum and we've written a poem we haven't published it yet but you know sending that out see if we can get it in a magazine somewhere but uh, she found that hat and so in our collaborative poem she found this hat spinning up in the thing so and then unfortunately when we printed this Brian being a dumbass I somehow flipped the names or I don't know exactly how it happened but it thanks, in the notes in the back, it thanks uh, Jean Dubrow, who also is wonderful. And I'd done a, a collaborative poem with her as well, but it thanks her for the lady's hat that's up. <laughs> so I had to call both of them like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but <in laughs> Subsequent printings will get it fixed and all that. But Cher and I wrote this poem, and it's, it's a wonderful poem, and she did find that hat. I liked that intersectionality or something, or this cross-referencing. And thing. I love cross-referencing art and doing shout-outs and things like that. That was kind of a gesture like that because i know what i'm doing is compiling all these collaborative poems with the hope that that book will be published in a couple years and there's a couple of lines there's one poem that starts um there will be rain in the story a series of birds voices maybe a character flaw so i said it's maybe that's where i cut off and i had that as a start that two or three other people camille dungy and i have written a poem that was published in poetry magazine that starts with that same start and then we go whole, whole different place. And that's what I love about it. Is that, you, know, you can start on a doorstep, but you end it in a whole other country.
2: There's that Billy Collins poem where he hmm. saw a poem he didn't like. Yeah, took the first two lines, and then he said, and then I rewrote it as a professional courtesy. <laughs> Ouch. which. <laughs> It's painful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> part of his brand is he's funny. So yeah, yeah. we forgive him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for being adjourned
0: yeah. to a poet. He doesn't name <laughs> if he named the poet. Yeah. That also would have been, yeah. and hopefully the person's already passed on. Cause it'd be, it would be awkward. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe that's even more. I don't know. Maybe it's better than life. I, mean, I haven't thought through that well enough, but
2: I think of my own relationship to other people's work. And I'm impressed and intrigued by the idea of collaborative poetry since
0: mm. I can't begin to imagine how that works. It's been amazing so far. I can't wait for people, I can't wait to see this whole book as a book because I, I've got about 15 or Slow so. Slow down.
2: How do you start?
0: Well, 15 <laughs> or so of them the are book. done. But uh, yeah, <laughs> basically I have a, a bunch of what I call starts. And there are two or three lines, maybe maybe four, sometimes just one line. I have a whole bunch of them, several pages of them and I just send it to them. And then I say, you know, there's no rush on this. It might take six months I don't hear back from you. That's fine. There's a couple of those out there like that where it's been over a year, I think. It was almost once a year we would send back two lines or three lines. And then it would go back the other way. And that's basically how it's gone. So it's just back and forth over a series of emails. And the other person adds a couple. They might change a word before to make another linkage to a thing they're mm-hmm. doing. But not a lot of radical changes that kind of stuff. Cyrus Cassells and I just uh, published one on uh, poem a day. He was more going back on a word and thinking, what if we did this there? And, and the poem really shined brighter afterwards, too. So it was fun. I guess for the most part, though, it's just been back and forth until we felt like it was sort of done. The thing I'm amazed by is I, I found this and then I'm hearing this from from the others I've been writing with, that once it's done, because it's taken a while usually for us, even if it's over a series of two months or something, here and there one week you just get an email and it's got the thing and you think about it a bit and write something to send it back and three weeks go by or whatever it is. Like I forget which lines are mine. And they go back and I know the first couple are mine because it's the start. But after that, I can't figure out exactly where. And that's what I'm hearing from them too. Like the poem has now melded into into its voice. It's been fun. I think it'll be, a, I think maybe it'll be encouraging for others to try to do that too. Because writing often seems such a solitary pursuit. And creating art oftentimes can be like that, especially with writing. Like my names are in the covers of these books, but it's ridiculous how many people are involved in these three well, books.
2: the Acknowledgements pages
0: are long. Yeah, yeah. And I, I actually asked the editor about that. I was like, you know, I could just make this a real short thing. We don't do that. At all. Or, and she said, she said, this is amazing. She said, people will never be mad at you for thanking them. <laughs> yes. <You know? laughs> it's a difficult thing because like my name is on the covers. I'm looking at them right now, but it's just not really fair because there's so many hands in the making and, I, and I've added it up and it's over 300 people. Well, people know? who mm. know how
2: writing works and know how books yeah.
0: work. Yeah.
2: Understand yeah. if the book's good, a mm. lot of people helped.
0: This has the music and the film and that, too, on top of it. So it's like it adds the sheer numbers of people. And Benjamin Kramer was a huge part because he helped with engineering and music and and really shepherding all those along. Then Mac uh, Rutan, who's a new friend. You might know know Mac. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, he helped with the videos that are on the backs of the book and that whole thing. And or he created them from basically like voice essays, like essays that I don't like That's one of
2: those people who I find yeah. it difficult to believe he's yeah. in Orlando. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, not because yeah. I think mm. so little of Orlando, but mm. just this yeah. ingenious person who has all of these really unique, yeah. strange, interesting, creative yeah. experiences. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. he's just the most down-to-earth person.
0: Yeah, he's kind and, and brilliant. And it's just like how... Yeah. And he's eager are, to be so
2: supportive. Why is he talking like, to me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, seems like he should be busy building something that'll change humanity. Like you could do that. You know, <laughs> I think we might be working on another project soon. So I'm looking forward to it, but it's, I'm really grateful for all the people that have been involved in, and that's part of the thing too, is that writing can feel isolated. I've had patches in my life where it's just me and a notebook and nobody to share them with or talk to for years and years and years. And I know that's a reality. You know, and it's part of life. And that may be, that <laughs> after this, that may be my part. the rest of my life the rest of the way, too. I don't know, you know what I mean? I'm going to write no matter what. But, but it's it's wonderful to be in community. If, if Like I said, I, I often, it took me a while to come back to people and, you know, after her passing. But even here in Orlando, I was never very social here because I, I travel a lot and I go out and do readings around the country. This is a super privileged what I'm saying. But it's just a reality that, I'm, that it was like, I would be full on sort of social stuff so that when I came back, I just want to kind of hibernate (laughs) my house and not go out and talk to people, you know, because I'd already travel a lot. I was sort of full, you know, and the problem was it was difficult with Elise because she was very gregarious and very loving. So I think she understood like, Oh, Brian's going to have to be, so we would hibernate more than she would have wanted to, you know? And I, that's one of the things that I would be, uh, I wish I'd been more, go out more with her so she could have had more of that part of her life. I still do that to this day until recently. And I've tried to make a concerted effort this last year to start going out to readings and being a good literary citizen as a bare minimum. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, just being there for people and trying to well, you know, I, be a part of, you know, make friendships and be a real actual friend, you know.
2: I've um, always thought of you as a good literary citizen, but uh, I've also uh, thought of you as belonging to the world. <laughs> and not to Orlando. <laughs> like, you're here yeah. Yeah. much of the time. But one, the writing has to get done. like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and two, yeah. you do travel yeah. a lot for yeah. all these various things that mm. seem creatively so exciting and interesting. Yeah, so. and
0: that's where it kicked back up again this fall. So I've had yeah. this month off where I'm kind of home, you know. So I feel like socially, yeah, like mm. you're out
2: more, but I don't feel like... Mm oh, this is different than the Brian I've known over the years. It's, it's just, yeah. there's a little bit more of him. Yeah. it's a little more available. Yeah, yeah. But I, I never took it amiss if he wasn't. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I've also found that a lot of the writing things, it's wonderful because a lot of writing events around town are dog-friendly. So that also makes it fun for me because I can take my dog with me and I don't have to talk as much because people just play with my dog. Yeah. You know?
2: <laughs> 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 I wonder if you would take us out with a poem from The Dead sure. Peasants' Handbook. Yeah.
0: You mentioned your friend Bill, and I really loved Oh yeah. Amplifier. <laughs> yeah, I've known Bill since I was probably in second grade in Fresno at Vinland Elementary School. He's an amazing guitar player and a close friend. He and uh, Russ Conrad, who's another brother, and Brian Voigt, who's my best friend since I was seven. All of us are like brothers. And... Actually, tomorrow night is the anniversary of my friend Brian Voigt's passing. So tomorrow night we'll be calling each other and raising a toast to Brian, and we'll be telling each other stories. I'll be standing out in my backyard. My dog will be running around in the grass, and I'll be talking with him for an hour or two or so. We'll see. We'll tell Brian Voigt stories, a lot of them. I'm not sure if that's much of a context bubble for this poem, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's part of where this comes from. We're really close is what I'm saying.
2: That comes through. And partly, you know, the poem hit me hard. I think partly you're a little bit older than I am, but I think we love a lot of the same stuff. (laughs) And it's not all the approved high literature stuff.
0: (laughs) Amplifier. When Bill pulled the trigger at his doorstep, the shotgun broke the world open. And though he'd fired into the radiator, the off-duty cop at the wheel caught buckshot to the stomach And after the paramedics, sirens, jail, making bail, years passing by, he ran his hands through his beard, shook his head, slugged coffee. These things we can't undo, he said. Sometimes we wake up to the ghosts in the room. Sometimes we just wake up crying. He pours another shot of whiskey into our coffee. Says, here's how you make the dough. If you're going to make it right, roll it like this and then punch it down. It's a two-punch dough. He curls his fingers, a painful thing for an old stonemason, and then punches down as if sounding a chord from back in the day, when our amplifiers pushed each speaker to the breaking point, saying, there's no sense making beer rocks if you can't punch like you mean it. Which is a way of saying, that's how you jump out of an airplane with the 82nd Airborne. That's how you throttle open an evolution to ride a Harley into the sun. That's how you build a house or make love or die trying. It's how the whole thing works, brother. You have to mean it. You have to earn it. If you want to stare at the ocean and think about death, then smoke something purple and sticky and gain some altitude. What I'm saying, if you're making something for the people you love, then put something extra in, like your whole fucking life, or it won't mean a thing. This is what I'm thinking about tonight. New Year's Eve, the clock turning midnight as I pour a glass of Bushmills into the grassy shadows outside. It's about time for Bill to plug in the Marshall stack back home in Fresno. The garage door open, his wife on a lawn chair beside him, little kids in the street writing sparkling words into the air, too sweet to be anything more than a flaring of light. That's when Bill hoists a guitar strap over his shoulder, dialing up the volume until the dead turn their heads to listen. It's true. He does it every year. It's his way of saying, I remember. If you don't believe me, And step outside and listen. Listen well. That's Bill's guitar you hear rolling in all the way from California, saying, brothers, sisters, I'm right here with you.
2: Well, that is the show for this week. I would like to thank Brian Turner and Alice James Books. Don't forget to check out thedruckenodyssey.com throughout the week for all kinds of great written content, including Perfect Advice from Dr. Perfect, Heartbreaking Comic Book Reviews by Drew Barth, and Reviews of Cinematic Masterpieces by our curator of schlock, Jeff Schuster. Until next time, put your ass in the chair, keep attacking those keys, and don't swallow the worm. And have a happy new year.
1: Dear listeners, writers, and fellow Odysseans, send your questions, observations, complaints, manifestos, transcriptions of Turkish opera, and whatever else you got to thedrunkenodyssey at gmail.com.
0: We needed no alcohol to to have this drunken odyssey.
2: (laughs) No. Before, we were talking about Burt Reynolds movies, and I think we would still be on Burt Reynolds if we were drinking. (laughs) A while back, John King endowed the Museum of Schlock and tasked me, Jeff Schuster, with curating the bugger. Each week, I curate one more entry into this proud genre of film. I think truth is, I'm really not sure what Schlock is, but my writing about it is sublime. Read it every Friday at thedrunkenodyssey.com. Thank you
1: for listening to the Drunken Odyssey with John King. A podcast about the writing life. This is your announcer, Lauren Butler.